Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another hugely successful Australian Open. Congratulations to all of our champions. A big thank you to the tournament staff. A big thank you to all the fans that have been here at Melbourne Park. We broke a new record at this tournament. And also to all of those that have watched around the world. Hello and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. I'm Philip Kim, your host, and I'm the tennis pro at the historic Langham Huntington in Pasadena in sunny Southern California. And with me via internet this time is my fantastic co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hello, Valerie. Hey. How are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm great. And yourself? I'm doing great. I'm so sad that I'm not sitting with you in the same room today. I know. It's a bummer. It is. I'm imagining your face right here. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> it is a bummer that's raining today. Otherwise, we'd be on the tennis courts, I think. Yes. It's like, uh, what's going on with Southern California? <laughs> yeah, we have had a lot of rain in the past couple of days, which is so wonderful. It's, it's very helpful to our environment, but obviously it takes away from our tennis because we don't have indoor courts here in Southern California that I know of. Do you? No, I think we had this conversation. I was like, there's got to be. And then I did a Google search and I couldn't find any. I, I was don't know. Like, oh. I don't know of any in this area. I've, I've played <laughs> <laughs> I've played in Portland and Seattle in indoor courts. And also when I went to Sweden on our podcast, that was indoor as well. But nice. never in Southern California. Yeah. So when we well, get rain. So we're rained out. We're rained out and we're doing our podcast, which maybe is still tennis, but just in a different way. Yay. Well, today, Valerie, we are recapping the Australian Open 2019. Yay what? for Australian Open. <laughs> <laughs> is this your favorite slam? No, no. I, I love it. But um, I think personally, I, I like the U.S. Open the best. Yeah. Well, Australian Open was pretty epic in many ways. It's always interesting because it's the first slam of the year. Lots of changes often happen at the Australian Open. They, they institute some new tennis ideas there. I think they're probably the most famous for using data as well, right? And in tracking and analyzing the game. So I enjoy that aspect of it. Yes. So let's get right into it. Well, how did you feel about it this year? Um, I had positive feelings. Everything was good. I, I notice as I'm getting older, it's a lot harder to nap and and then watch, wake up at 1230 at night. Right. <laughs> and watch it because uh, for people in California, you know, the, the night matches start or the evening session starts at 12:30 a.m., which means you're like just up in the middle of the night trying to watch tennis, and of course that's when they put all the like best matches. Right, right. So pretty much for two weeks, you know, the sleeping pattern of coming home and taking naps here and there, in between the matches I wanted to watch to right. so that way because Roger was always playing at midnight. <laughs> yeah. So I was constantly up, really late. Um, which I guess never really bothered me before, but I'm, I'm starting to feel my age lately. And that was what I took away. But the tennis itself was, was great. Yeah, I think we saw a very high level of tennis this year. And especially on the women's, I wanted to say that I thought they are really upping their game on the women's side. I mean, girls are just hitting harder. They're stronger. They're serving better. I just feel like the whole level of the WTA has really increased in the last couple of years and I want to know what's happening what's in the water there right <laughs> but yeah in general I felt like the Australian Open was great I was very excited as the season began and everybody started playing we were having some really great matches as a Federer fan of course I was a little deflated Federer losing in the fourth round to Stefanos Tsitsipas who is I guess at that time was number 15 and and uh, it will now probably shoot up into the top 10, which is super exciting for him. Yes. And, you know, if, if he was going to lose to anyone, I mean, for me as a fan, Tsitsipas is has such a beautiful game that as a Federer fan, I don't know. When you're a Federer fan, I think you're more a fan of, of his style of play, how beautiful he makes tennis, how so. easy he makes it look, yeah. how elegant. You know, um, and Sitsipas to me has some of those qualities. Maybe it's just the one-handed backhand, but um, big, big fan of him. 
And I've just, you know, it's just unfortunate he couldn't back it up with just a little bit better of a result in his next match. That's pretty common. It wasn't like it was a surprise, I guess. Right. Often uh, these younger players will have an epic win, beat maybe one of the top 10 players, and then next match they'll lose uh, twos and threes or something, right? Yeah. And they often talk about maybe that's the emotional high of winning and then your your body coming down yeah. to the next round. And it's just hard to back it up, to have that consistent high level of playing match after match after match. And that's what makes the top three great. And I say top three now because we've lost Andy Murray. Yes. So and I'm was- checking the rankings and Tsitsipas uh, is at 12 right now. So He's at 12. Okay, so yeah. still not into the top 10. But yeah, how sad. This was a, a big announcement for Andy Murray as well in dealing with his injury. And they. I felt like the Australian Open really made it feel like it was the end of his career, didn't you? Yeah, they did. I don't know. I guess maybe they were just honing in on the it's his last Australian Open. Right. Could be his last Australian Open. And then they had the whole tribute of all of the players talking about how much they loved him, how much, what a great guy he is, how much they loved being with him on tour. <laughs> I think they were, everybody was expecting Andy to start crying, but he didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. To top it off, he even said, well, you know, maybe if I get another surgery, I'll be back. <laughs> so that was interesting and strange. And apparently he probably knew he was going to get the surgery because I've seen pictures now on Twitter where he is recovering from surgery. So he already had his surgery. Oh, all right. So interesting to see what's going to happen. And I'm sure Peter, our fan favorite reporter, is going to give us a full detailed description on what's happening with Andy Murray. So we're excited to hear our fan favorite reporters and their take on all of these wonderful players that played at the Australian Open. Yes, I look forward to hearing that. So aside from our favorites, we should, of course, announce the winners of the Australian Open. Yes. Well, I think, you know, when you asked me to call the match, I said, and you know, I should say Roger because I'm his, his fan. But that three that a three-peat was pretty uh, improbable. And I think I said a Nole Rafa final was inevitable. And I don't remember if I said Djokovic or not, but I, I'm in my heart of hearts. I just always felt like I feel like he's going to have another hot streak of just playing unbeatable tennis where he may just get caught here or there in a three-setter maybe, but I just think he's going to dominate. Yeah, Valerie, you really called it. I was talking with my heart. You were talking with your head. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it shows that you're a better tennis tennis analyst than I am. <laughs> or a better uh, pessimist. But uh. <laughs> Well, you did great uh, if you were into betting. Not that we support that in any way, but you would have done really well. It was a Novak Djokovic-Rafael Nadal final at the 7th Australian Open, and Novak Djokovic completely dismantled Rafael Nadal. What happened? Uh, he's a beast. He's, it's, I think, to me, it's mental. Their, their matchup is so mental, and Djokovic was just mentally 100% like unwilling to waver. And locked in the zone. And Nadal, you know, he's been off since November, right? Or had surgeries. I'm sure he's feeling good about his game. But mentally, he knew, like, I'm going up against the the greatest player right now. And I, I think, you know, everything he tried just didn't work. Yeah, I felt like Nadal was very tentative in the final. I think he went into it feeling unconfident and kind of showed in the first three games. He Djokovic was up 3-0. Mm-hmm. Rafael Nadal was trying all kinds of different things, like you were saying. He was actually even chipping the return, which you never see Rafael Nadal do. He never chips or turn back, but he was really trying to mix it up. It just shows you he could not he could not figure out a way to take control of play. Yeah. Novak was taking control on ball one. So whether it was his serve or his return, he was putting it and making Rafa very uncomfortable from the very beginning and then just took over control of the point throughout. Yeah. And it reminded me of 2017 when Federer was on that streak. He would come in early on Nadal, Mm -hmm. take that ball away from Nadal, take control away, and move him around. And I feel like uh, Novak probably studied those games as well and had great strategy as he was coming into this match. Yeah, it it was uh, dismantling, that's for sure. It's interesting. It's interesting to see how 
how, how the rest of the season goes, though. I mean, I, I wonder if it fuels Nadal or if it just makes Djokovic that much uh, more unbeatable in the rest of the field watching. Right. I've got to still feel that Nadal is the favorite at the French Open. I mean, no one yes. plays better than him on clay. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And then Roger Federer had announced that he's going to play on clay this year. So that will be... Which should the, be so interesting. <laughs> so interesting in the first time that the top three are going to be playing on clay together, assuming that everyone's healthy and they're all going to be there. So really exciting. But Novak is definitely dominant. I uh, read a statistic that Novak now has a 46% win percentage at the Australian Open. He's now won 7 of 15, while Roger Federer is 6 of 20 at 30%. And Rafa, unfortunately, is 1 of 14 at 7%. You could see it in the winning ceremony. He had he was very down and as he stood there to receive the uh, trophy, and you just felt like, is he ever going to win the Australian Open again? Yeah, who knows? But maybe more astounding is that Roger won his first Australian Open 15 years ago in 2004. Wow. So of the seven titles, 15 years ago, Roger Federer defeated Marat Safin in 2004. So what a legacy he has to be able to play at this very high level. Yes. I I don't remember when uh, Djokovic's first one is, but I feel like he has more to come. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Health permitting. I mean, he sits at... Well, just health, health permitting. Per health permitting for all of them. I think that's the big factor now. Uh, I feel like we're talking a lot more about health now than we ever have in tennis. Uh, obviously, injury plagued tennis players since the beginning of time, but now you're seeing that... People are taking extended leave of absence uh, with health injuries. And I, I feel like it's much more prominent to talk about health injuries now than it ever was. And I wonder if that's because the, the game is so much more physical. Yeah, it, it most must be. And I have to imagine that just uh, the calendar's more full as well than it probably was 20 years ago. Well, let's talk about the women's. Uh, Naomi Osaka uh, took it her second at just 21 years of age. That was awesome. And she's definitely at the forefront of the girls that I'm talking about who are hitting the ball harder, serving faster. And she defeated Petra Kvitova in the women's final. And I felt like Petra was very informed as she was coming into this final, didn't you? Yeah, I think she got to the final without having dropped a set. And Osaka had a couple three-setters. And they had never played before, which is so crazy. But I guess it's because Naomi is so new and Petra had taken an extended time off after her injury. But it was so great to see her back. She talked about how she was in the best form ever. You could definitely see that she was lighter and she looked fantastic. She was moving incredibly well for a tall girl. She just was doing such a great job. Yeah, she looked awesome. And both of them. It was such a hard final for me. I was like, I don't know who to root for, you know? <laughs> they're both they're both you want them both to win cuz Yeah. You know, Petra's story and Osaka's just so adorable and lovable. <laughs> Yeah, and they say Kitova is also very lovable on tour. She's one of the favorites that everybody loves her in the locker room. So yeah, I think she was she was voted player favorite. I think right. I think so. So it's so nice to have two champions that both are deserving, both on and off the court on the women's side. Yeah, and on court, wow, they were smacking that ball. It was amazing how hard they were hitting. The rallies they were having, just incredible. I was very impressed with that final. Yeah, that was that was good stuff. And I think uh, Osaka served the most aces of the whole tournament, right? I think she, of the women, uh, 59 total aces, which is cool. I'm assuming that that awesome serve has something to do with her recent success. Right. You, you don't think of her as, uh, she obviously has a great serve, uh, but you don't think of her as a Serena or a Pliskova yeah. as far as a serve bomber, but wow, she sure did. I mean, 59 aces is phenomenal. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I, and I was surprised to read that Venus served the fastest serve on the women's side. Yeah, 123, huh? Venus has still got it. 123 at, she's 38 now, I believe, right? Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> 
Because I think uh, Serena is 37, same age as Roger. And then I think Venus is one year older. Yeah, I think something like that. Something like that. She may Um, have had a birthday in 39 or something, but I'm sure 38 or 39 is good. Good and close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. She might be one year older now. But uh, just amazing that at her age, she hits the fastest serve at the Australian Open. How how amazing. It's awesome. And on the men's side, I guess we're talking about Marius Kopel from, I think it's Romania, isn't it? And he hit the fastest serve at 143 miles per hour. So you can see there's a 20 mile an hour discrepancy between the men's and the women's serve as far as fastest. And it's kind of surprising that it wasn't uh, Milos Raonic or or someone like that, John Isner. But uh, Marius Kopel, what an amazing server he must be. I know. I've actually never seen him play, so now I'm curious. Right. It's something to look out for. Maybe he'll come to Indian Wells and we can check him out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of the other cool things that happened at Australian Open were the final set tie breaks that they introduced. Uh, As I said, the Australian Open is usually very innovative in the way that they present new technology. Uh, not only on the data side, but also in changing the game. And so we had our first final set tie break. I guess the first one ever was between Katie Boulder and uh, Makarova. Yes. They were the first ones in the main draw to play and complete the new tie break. I watched that one. <laughs> I I think you didn't. You watched part of it too. It, it seemed like when it got to seven points, I did. she she kind of like thought she had won. Yeah, yeah. Katie Boulder thought it was a seven point tiebreak, and I, did she lift her arms up or something? And she I, thought I she won. If she, if she if she lifted her arms, but she had this look on her face of relief, like it's over. Yeah. And then it was like, wait a second. <laughs> Still <got three laughs> you got, more points. You got yeah. three more points to win. <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun moment. Uh, And so everybody's learning the new system. But I thought it was great. I think to have tie breaks uh, finish it out instead of the full uh, final set, I thought that was a a good thing for tennis. Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't always a fan. I I do. I I get it, though. It's not a I don't think it's a bad thing. I think what if anything hurts is that every slam has a different thing, you know, that Wimbledon is doing tie break, yeah. but it doesn't start until 12 all. Um, yeah. And then the U S open, I, I believe they do a standard seven point tie break. And now Australian open is doing this 10 point tie break. So it's just like, and then the French is staying with no tie breaks. So it's like, with it's no just kind of like this none set, of them right. are the same now, which is, which is cool, I guess, because, uh, they're all unique, but then it also like for a tennis fan who's not as crazy as you or me to remember every like detail, it might cause confusion. I mean, tennis scoring is already very confusing to someone who doesn't play or wasn't, uh, raised with it. I have a lot of friends and family members who they basically say that tennis scoring is the reason why they don't want to watch. It's very confusing for them. It is. Yeah. Even when I'm teaching beginners uh, to teach them scoring, it's, yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> it's very arbitrary. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to memorize the format. Uh, and so Wimbledon agreed to a 10 point tie break in the fifth set. Is that right? I think they are doing a 10-set tiebreak. It's just that they don't start it until they get to 12 games. A 10-point tiebreak. Correct. Did I say something different? (laughs) You said 10-set. Oh, lovely. 10-sets. That's amazing. (laughs) They're so traditional. They're going all the way. (laughs) They're doubling down. That would be awesome. 10-point tiebreak, but I think they don't start until it's 12-all. So it's like, okay, I don't know. Right, right, right. 12-all. They're all kind of different. For me, where it didn't work, though, was was I was watching Stan Wawrinka playing against Milos Raonic and they already had tie breaks in oh, every yes. set. They were all all the way down to the wire on every set and so it just felt like what another tie break to decide all of these tie breaks, you know, that <laughs> <laughs> That didn't feel very epic. It just felt like another tie break. So, I don't know. For for that it didn't work for me. I was kind of surprised at how I felt about that. So then we can introduce like if there's been no breaks of serve <laughs> by the time we get to the fifth set, <laughs> you actually you play a fifth break. set. <laughs> and even another innovation. Yes, there has to be at least one break of serve in every tennis match, or it's not over. <laughs> 
Yeah, and boy, they were both serving so well. Stan was serving incredibly. So welcome back, Stan, from injury, and he played a great match. I was really rooting for him against Milos, but Milos came out on top. Milos actually had a great run this year. Yeah, he played really good. Another innovation that uh, was introduced at uh, Australian Open was Hawkeye. Hawkeye was introduced now on every court in about the main time. draw. Which, about I mean, time. <laughs> Indian Wells has had that for like three years now, I think. Or this might yeah. be the third year yeah. coming. It's. I feel like they've had it for a while. I feel like the majors should have it. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. I think it's really expensive, well, though. Well, they right? upped. I, I, I read that they uh, upped the pay 14% for uh, the prize money. Right. $62.5 million this year. Yeah. Historic So high. they could take 4% off that maybe and invest that into the Hawkeye. <laughs> into Hawkeye. I'm sure the players would be happy about that. Right. Well, something the players weren't happy about was the shot clock was introduced uh, for the first time in the main draw. And there were a lot of... Uh, kind of time violation calls that were upsetting, uh, ruffling some feathers yeah. with these players. Yeah, I imagine that's, I mean, I like it as a fan um, to an extent. I feel like, I feel like there has, it's kind of uh, tricky, but when, when there's like a 30 shot rally to make them go back up in 25 seconds is, it's just kind of, it sucks. It sucks for them probably more, but even sucks for me. Cause then I know the next point I might get a double fault or just like, a ball in the net pretty quickly. But I think overall, it's better than it is worse. For me, anyway. Yeah, I think they, it's a television call, right? They're trying to make it faster for the fans and for television. I think for the players, it's quite an adjustment if you're into your rhythm and you're Djokovic and you bounce the ball 12 times or, you know, Rafa with all of his idiosyncrasies. Uh, it's going to take some yes, getting used to. Yes, but I think, like, my memory of watching tennis in the 80s and 90s it was much quicker. None of them were doing that, all that toweling off and crazy, you know, stuff that was taking so long in between points. And I feel like it was slowly like going in that direction where everyone was just taking a lot of time. And this yeah. is like nipping it in the bud, like before it becomes out of control. Kind of like, right. aren't they doing that with the streaming as well? Where, where they're like, like juniors tennis, they're not allowing them to grunt while hitting the ball. Right. That's that sounds like a good thing. They can at least try to change it before they start getting into it being a lifelong habit. Yeah. I, guess. I mean, I'm not sure, but I feel like I remember hearing that um, because that's another thing that just, you know, some people don't mind. I don't mind. Sometimes I don't even notice. Everyone who's in my house notices when I'm watching tennis. They're like, what is going on in the other yeah. room? It's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Especially if Azarenka is playing or yeah, someone. Exactly. Yeah, but a lot of the younger girls who are hitting so hard that I keep talking about are also screaming pretty loud. Yeah. So the level is getting higher for sure. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of higher, 2019 for the Australian Open was a record attendance for them. They had 780,000 plus fans come to the Australian Open, which broke the record from 2018. So, you know, it's kind of a conundrum. We're getting more and more fans that are watching tennis at these big events. And yet I still feel like the game of tennis uh, in the United States is shrinking. Yeah, I think they had a, a record attendance of over 800,000 at the U.S. Open here in America. But I still feel like we're having a hard time getting people out onto the courts playing and getting people interested in the game. So so ironic that we're having so many people and record attendance all, at all these events all over selling out and yet the game of tennis itself I'm not sure is growing as far as the number of players yeah people are probably like me they're just lazy couch potatoes <laughs> <laughs> they, they love, love to watch it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, it is great that we have so many fans all over the world. And speaking of that, let's jump right into our fan favorite reports. I'm so excited that we get to have our wonderful friends do fan favorite reports. And this episode, we're going to have uh, all of our fan favorite reporters give a recap of the Australian Open. Yay. So let's welcome back our fan favorite reporters. Hello, this is Tanya from Republic of Srpska and this is my report on Novak Djokovic. Beginning of the year was really successful for him and his fans. 
So let's start. Novak Djokovic has written one more piece of the tennis history by winning his seventh Australian Open title and becoming the first man in the history who did that. And it seems that many more records are going to be broken because right now he looks unstoppable. He demolished his biggest rival Rafa Nadal in the final in straight sets and during the match he gave the Spaniards zero chances. Whole world expected to see epic battle between these two legends because tennis fans are used to it when it comes to them. But this time Nola had different plans. He looked so confident and determined from the moment he stepped into the Rod Laver arena. He knew that it was his chance to prove the world, that Melbourne Park was and still is his empire. After lifting the trophy, the Serb reminded us that exactly one year ago he had elbow surgery and that his future didn't seem bright. Everyone doubted him and his possibilities to come back, but everything ended like a fairy tale for him. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to contemplate on, uh, on the journey in the last 12 months because um, as Rafa, I've been through... Uh, a surgery and a quite a major injury myself the last couple of years but um, I had the surgery exactly 12 months ago and um, to be standing now here in front of you today and uh, managing to, to win this title and three out of four slams this is truly amazing I, I'm, uh, I'm speechless It is true that Djokovic destroyed Rafa in the final, but he said that he might figure him out for the match, but not for life and that he hopes they will play many more amazing matches in the future. One thing is for sure, we both are going to strive for improvement in the future. Djokovic said, I'm sure we're still going to have a lot of matches against each other on different surfaces. I really hope we will, because this rivalry has been the most significant rivalry, the one that impacted me on a personal and professional level the most in my life. The interesting fact is that the history really repeated itself in this match. Novak Djokovic won his first Australian Open, which was his first Grand Slam, on January 27 in 2008. And on the same date this year, he hugged Norman for the seventh time. Now, Djokovic's plan is to do something he has already done in the past, but which still represents one of the greatest achievements in this game. It's winning four Grand Slam in a row. And Rod Laver, the only man who managed to win all four slams in the same year, has nothing but the great words about Djokovic's future. After the final, he tweeted, Congratulations, Novak, King of Australian Open, and lots, lots more to come. You make it look easy. It's not. Your dedication and hard work is there for all to see. More records await. Rocket. With this Djokovic victory, the GO debate has started again. Is it Federer with 20 Grand Slam titles, Nadal with 17, or Djokovic with 15? What could be a game-changer in this debate is the fact that Djokovic's serious record against Nadal is 28-25 and against Federer 25-22. Djokovic looks better than ever and he will probably not stop anytime soon. His goal is first to try to equal Grand Slam titles with Rafa and then Roger and he is confident he can do it. I don't want to sound arrogant, but I always believe in myself, Djokovic said. That's probably the biggest secret of my success, self-belief. I want to definitely focus myself on continuing to improve my game, so I would be able to compete at such a high level for the years to come and have a shot at eventually getting closer to Roger's record, but it's still far. We thought that Djokovic was on his peak in 2011, then in 2015 and 16, and the question is what to think about it now. He keeps improving and surprising everyone, and maybe he's the only one who could beat himself right now. Hey guys, it's Crystal, back with another report on Stefan Atsitipas. Steph had an amazing two weeks going at the Australian Open. He played some amazing tennis. 
obviously the highlight was when he played Federer. That was such an amazing match. Had me at the edge of my seat and I couldn't breathe for half of it. So that was so great. Sadly, Steph didn't make it all the way to the finals. He got out in the semifinals where Rafa bet him in three sets, but it was still an amazing tournament for him. My highlight was seeing his YouTube channel grow. He gained 100,000 new subscribers in just the course of two weeks. And he also got noticed by some of his idols, Casey Neistat and other people that he follows on YouTube and he really aspires and looks up to. So that was awesome for him. And just to be acknowledged on something like that is so great as it's a big hobby of his and he takes it really seriously. And for people to take him seriously about it was really awesome and it just made everything better and I'm sure he's happy about it. Yeah, after his Australian Open, Stefanos is actually in Monaco. He's not playing Davis Cup as there is no one to play Davis Cup with in Greece. So he is in Monaco where he's actually acquired a new apartment. So that's exciting for him and he's moving in, settling in there. So we probably won't see him back until they start the European hard courts. That's all I've got for you guys and I hope you enjoyed. Greetings, Tennis Pal Chronicles. My name is Nicholas Kovarubias, and I am your new fan favorite for Rafael Nadal. What an inspirational return for the Spaniard. Nadal's hard work and dedication shows his limitless potential for the 2019 tennis season. Vamos, Rafa! We saw a new beginning in Australia. Rafa introduced a new serve. It was much more tighter and rapid, minimizing the rotation of his body, reducing stress on a freshly operated right ankle. This new serve proved to be effective, allowing Nadal not to drop a single set, surpassing his 2018 quarterfinal appearance, making it all the way to the final. Though not victorious, and in true Nadal fashion, his runner-up speech was gentlemanly, humble, and elegant. Talking about uh, myself, have been a very emotional two weeks. You know? uh, even if tonight uh, was, wasn't my best day, of course, uh, I had some somebody that... Uh, played uh, much better than me tonight so um, have been a very important two weeks for me you know have been um, I have been going through tough moments uh, during the last year only have been the chance to play during uh, nine events and I had to retire it in two including this one that was a painful one and at the beginning uh, since since the US Open I, I was not able to play a, a professional match until the first round of the Australian Open so um, even if uh, tonight was not my night, uh, for me it's so important to uh, be where I am today, again, uh, coming back from injury. So, The best is yet to come for us Nadal fans, as he is just a few steps away from claiming victory at the French Open. Nadal scores off the court too. He announced that he and girlfriend of 14 years, Mary Pareo, are engaged. Their engagement was kept secret, becoming engaged while on holiday in Rome in May of 2018. The couple planned to marry this autumn in Mallorca. Congratulations to the both of you. May your future be filled with perpetual bliss. Hey everyone, it's Valerie here to do my fan fave report on the great Serena Williams. So, the Aussie Open just wrapped up and Serena failed to reach her 24 major milestone yet again. However, Serena isn't worried about it, she's just enjoying learning. She said in recent interviews that she keeps remembering she's only been back for 10 months, so I'm sure that she has her eyes on the next three slams already. And if you missed it, Serena's daughter was quite the sensation on Instagram, with her play doll named Koi Koi. Now, the doll was spotted all around the Australian Open grounds, and she boasts an impressive 22,000 followers on Instagram. Wow, uh, me and PK are trying to hit that number here. Kwe uh, Kwe is often spotted with casts or boo-boos, and it has sparked debate if the poor doll is being mistreated. Serena's joked in press conferences that it's true, and she had to resume some parenting responsibilities for the doll. Uh, but on to more recent headlines, Serena has recently made a cameo on Lip Sync Battle as the first-time double agent on the show. And what I mean by that, if you've ever watched the show, 
Uh, basically, stars come on and they battle against each other in a lip in a lip sync battle. Uh, so this show featured Andy Roddick against his wife Brooklyn Decker, and Serena Williams showed up as a guest performer with both contestants, Brooklyn and Andy. So that's never been done on the show before, where someone's guest starred on opposing teams. Serena said afterwards she just wanted to win, so I guess that certainly increased her odds to 100% by playing for both sides. Speaking of teams, also in the recent sports headlines is Serena's Bumble commercial set to air in the first quarter of this weekend's Super Bowl 53. Serena said, At such a pivotal time for women across the globe, this commercial seeks to inspire all of us to seize opportunity wherever it presents itself. Williams said in a statement, I want women to feel empowered, to find their voice, and use the power within to create change, to lift each other up, and to never let the world tell us we can't, because we can and we will. Well, everyone, that's a wrap for this episode. I hope that you'll all be hearing me in our next report. Hi, this is Fiona from Australia, and actually it's been a little while since I gave a fan report. Roger um, has played four tournaments since then. Paris and the World Tour Finals at the end of 2018 and then the Hopman Cup and the Australian Open to start 2019. So I'll focus on talking about the 2019 season now. So actually because he starts his season in Australia every year as normal, I was actually lucky enough to attend both of those tournaments, uh, the Hopman Cup in Perth and the Australian Open in Melbourne. So it's really super special for me to have been there And so Roger had about three weeks off in the off-season before he started the new season. And for the third consecutive year, he started the season in Perth at the Hopman Cup. And I'm sure you um, already know, but in case you didn't, the Hopman Cup is a mixed doubles team format tournament. And Roger's partner was, again, Belinda Bencic. So they won against Great Britain and the USA and Germany in the final. And then Roger and Belinda became two-time champions at the end of the week. So they backed up their 2018 victory. And it was a super intense final with the championship being decided on that sudden death point in the mixed doubles match. Yeah, so it was the 20th straight edition of the Hopman Cup this year and actually it could have been the last ever due to some scheduling changes and funding changes with the ATP Cup starting up in 2020. So from a fan perspective, I feel like it would be quite sad to lose the tournament if it really was to go. Uh, So it was great to see Roger win again and now moving on to the Australian Open, the first major of the year. So he had a pretty solid warm-up from Perth and expectations were kind of high for him to defend his Australian Open title for a second consecutive year. He opened the tournament against Dennis Isterman with a convincing straight sets victory and he made it through tighter matches against Dan Evans and Taylor Fritz in the second and third rounds. And then going into the fourth round, Roger took on Stefanos Tsitsipas, the 20-year-old Greek player, and I'm sure you all know his name by now anyway. So Roger actually played him for the first time in their careers just a few weeks ago in Perth, and Roger beat Stefanos in straight sets in two tie breaks. So then in Melbourne, well, the expectations were kind of funny going into that match. Like, I think... Roger was expected to win but uh, the story turned out a little bit differently. So Roger took the first set in a tie break, a really tight tie break, 7-6-11 um, and then uh, in the second set he dropped it in a tie break again by a super slim margin too and then Stefanos went on to take the third set as well so, and in that set he secured the only break of the match by either player. And so with a two sets to one lead, Stefanos went on to win the match in another tiebreak in the fourth set. So he won in four sets over Roger and Roger was out of the tournament before the second week. Yeah, the story of the match, I guess, if Roger did let a lot of break points go astray, um, he let two go in the first set and then another eight in the second set and then two again in the third set. So then there were 12 there total. And then honestly, though, I don't think the whole story of the match was unconverted break points, as a lot of people kind of made it out to be. 
Roger did say he had a lot of regrets walking off the court with those chances. Well, there is always multiple factors uh, that play into a, a match like this, but it's uh, uh, definitely didn't go the way I was hoping on the on the break points. You know, um, I also didn't break him at the Hopman Cup, so clearly something's wrong. How I return him or what I'm trying to do, and he's doing a good job at it to defend them, but uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, it's uh, it's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, for me, watching courtside, it was a match where he really had it on his racket, but, you know, those big chances do make a big difference. And then um, Stefanos, though, it was just one of those nights where he doesn't miss. So I don't know if you've ever played tennis but I think you kind of get that feeling where you just know it's it's going to be hard to get a ball past you and then that's just a really good thing that Stefanos had going for him on that night it didn't really matter who was on the other side of the net but he was playing lights out he played pretty amazing as a fan to see Roger lose like it's always never going to be fun especially being there in person it's even harder and then though what I think is after the last two years in Melbourne um, he's been incredible like he won two straight years and at the ages of 36 and 37 no one would ever have imagined that would happen so I'm always happy that those opportunities have come and it's just good (laughs) and I think most of all I'm just happy that we're still able to watch Roger play and I'm forever hopeful that there's more and more to come so that's it for the beginning of his season I'm really um, happy that I was able to watch him play in person and then again I really um, hope he has a great 2019 moving forward Yeah, thank you all for listening and I hope I can be back again with another fan report. Hi, Tennis Pal Chronicle listeners. This is Peter with your fan update for Andy Murray. I have struggled to put into words how I feel about Andy Murray this past month. It's been hard to write and talk to my other Murray fans about what Andy means to us. Some of us haven't even wanted to watch, let alone talk about that press conference, but we must. During his press conference at the Australian Open on January 10th, the first question Andy Murray was asked was, how was his hip feeling? He just uttered, um, not great. Starting to break down, he had to leave the press conference for a moment to collect himself. As Murray fans have known, he was struggling for a long time. Andy stated for about 20 months he's tried to get his hip to feel better. Been struggling for a a long time. Um... I've been in, in a lot of pain um, for what well, has been probably about 20 months now. Um, I've pretty much, you know, pretty much done everything that that I could to, you know, to try and get my hip feeling feeling better, and um, you know, hasn't hasn't helped loads. He's in a better place than he was six months ago, but still not at the place where he could compete and play without pain. He said that this Australian Open would be his last. He hoped to get through the first match and finally retire at Wimbledon. You know, my my plan, um, you know, kind of in middle to end of December during my training block, um, you know, I spoke to my team and I I told them that, you know, I, I, I can't. You know, I can't keep doing this, and that I needed to have like an end point um, because it, I was sort of just just playing with no idea of when the sort of the, the pain was gonna pain was gonna stop, um, and I I felt like making that decision. Um, you know, I, I said to my team, "Look, I think I can kind of get through this until." Into Wimbledon, that is where where I would like to. That that that's where I would like to stop um, stop playing. I was told the night I got into Cincinnati uh, for the Cincinnati Open in 2017 that his hip problem was a retirement-ending situation. It was heartbreaking then, and I thought I had been able to grieve properly for his playing days 
make the most of his time on the court while I could, and just enjoy our Andy. This was not the case as it was a finality in January. I barely watched full matches during the Australian Open. I was hopeful until this past month that Andy could achieve the impossible. He always has. He's been amongst the giants of the game for the past decade and pushed his way through, making people include him in the narrative of the Big Four with Roger, Rafa, and Novak as he's gone through to semifinals and 11 Grand Slam finals, winning two Olympic gold medals, two Wimbledons, and a U.S. Open trophy. The way he pushed through to the end of 2016, winning his second Wimbledon, second gold medal, and the World Tour final title that year showed people what Andy is made of. Roger Federer said that Andy's push for number one was epic. Epic it was. Andy Murray returned home to London a few days after his epic five-set loss to Roberto Batista Agut. In that match against Agut, he showed the world and his fans what he was made of and why many around the globe are fans of his. He came from two sets down to a contentious four-hour and nine-minute five-set match. This podcast was the hardest to write and talk about, as it felt like a eulogy to Andy. Jamie Murray felt like many of the tributes, especially the one by a lot of players after his match against Agut, was weird. It feels weird to talk about Andy in the past tense. His playing days are all but over. Judy Murray said he was in pain after the match, to the point where he couldn't get on the flight home yet. Thankfully, he decided to have the hip resurfacing surgery on January 28th in London. This will vastly improve his quality of life. Hopefully, he'll be able to play at Wimbledon this year as a last hurrah. On Instagram, he wrote about his surgery. I underwent a hip resurfacing surgery in London. Feeling a bit battered and bruised just now, but hopefully that will be the end of my hip pain. With a smiley face. I now have a metal hip, as you can see in the second photo. And I look like I've got a bit of a gut in photo one. He said he looks like he's got a gut in photo one. In photo two, if you enlarge it just a bit, it looks like he's got a bit of the Throckmorton sign shown. You don't have to look hard, though as many have noticed. He was given a giant teddy bear by Stan Wawrinka and Donna Vekic. He posted the huge teddy bear on Insta with the caption, Big thanks to Stan and Donna for the get well soon teddy bear. It's absolutely huge. My kids will be fighting over this when I get home. With the hashtag Stan the man. Stan didn't want his girls fighting over the huge teddy bear. On Stan's Insta, he posted a picture of himself with a huge stuffed polar bear. He said, Hey Andy, if you don't want any fight with your kids at home, I can send you this one also. I just hope he finds joy to play with his kids and grow old with them. If we see him at Wimbledon, it would be a fond farewell to a great career. If we don't see him on the court again, I hope everyone will know how truly great Andy has been for our sport, as I saw the appreciation for him ever since his press conference. One of the last things I saw of Andy from the Australian Open was him sitting on the ground, showing the empty stands of Rod Laver Arena, the site of many triumphs and many painful attempts to win, as the underdog we have rooted for time and time again. He was tearful and he simply waved and ended the Instagram. That is how I and many fans know him, with heart leaving all of his emotions on the court. Hey Andy, it's your pal John here. Just want to say congratulations on a fantastic career. It was uh, definitely great through the years uh, to share the court with you, to uh, watch you play. Yeah, you know, I just want to say that I'm very thankful to, to have shared a friendship with you on the tour. You know, I don't want to touch base too much on your tennis. We all know that you're an absolute legend of the sport, and you always will be. It's very sad that uh, you have to take to you have to take that decision. Uh, but sometimes uh, life is not perfect, no. I just want to, to, to say thanks for all the things that you give to, to our sport. I think you were one of the best players and of course you were supporting women's, which was, I think, uh, for me the best. Amazing career, congratulations, buddy. You've done Scotland proud, um, Britain proud. You're a sir who can say that, uh, hardly anybody, uh, but you did it uh, as a tennis player. We had uh, quite a journey, um, both of us, 
we got to play against each other, I think, when we were 12 years old in a small place in France. You uh, kicked my butt pretty badly at that time. And uh, who knew that at that time we are going to have an amazing careers. I'm really going to miss you on tour, not only as a player, but most importantly as a person. You're always so fun to be around and you always have the best jokes. I don't want that to get to your head. You've done so much for the sport. You've done so much for us as players and um, we really can't thank you enough. Thank you for always uh, leaving your heart and every last drop of energy on the court and being a true example and inspiring uh, younger generations to, uh, to play the tennis the way you played it. I just want to wish you all the best, uh, all the luck in this world, and uh, hope that you are uh, going to get better. Judy raised such a fine young gentleman, or young lad, and I wish you the best in everything in your future. We will miss you so much. You only have friends in the locker room, and you should be very proud of that fact as well. Yeah, if you're ever looking for a coaching job, you know, um, there's uh, one available together with my dad. Look, man, you had a Hall of Fame career. Enjoy your retirement. But just know I'm your biggest fan. Take care, buddy. Thank you, my friend. All the best. It's fun to think that all of our friends are super excited wherever they are in the world watching the Australia Open. And in a way, we're all watching together. I love that idea. Yes, and, and it brings new meaning to me for when I'm watching certain people play. I'm thinking of the reporter, you know? <laughs> yeah. And a special shout out to Nicholas. Yes, Nicholas, our new Rafael Nadal reporter. Yes, we're so glad to have him join our team. And if you would like to be a fan favorite reporter, just send an email to aces at lovesetmatch.net. We would love to feature your favorite player on our podcast as well. And we're starting a new format. We're going to be doing interviews on one podcast and then news and fan favorite reporters on every other podcast. What do you think of that format, Bella? I think it's a smash, and I look forward to people uh, sharing their feedback if they don't agree. Right. I would love to hear from any of our listeners. Does this new format work for you? Do you have any thoughts or suggestions? Please send us your feedback so we can create the best possible listening experience for you. And where can they send Where can they send that feedback, Bella? You can just email me at aces at lovesetmatch.net. We would also love feedback on the Apple Podcast Store where they can leave a five-star review and just share with their friends if this is a podcast worth listening to. That really helps us to get the word out. Yes, that would be fantastic. Well, thanks for joining me, Valerie, on this Super Bowl Sunday morning talking about the Australian Open. I appreciate your time, and it's always great to share moments with you. And, and thanks to all of our fan favorite reporters for their report. Yes, and uh, since it is Super Bowl Sunday and we report from sunny Southern California, uh, let's get a little Go Rams action. <laughs> go Rams, even though I don't care which team wins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care either, but I, I feel like, you know, it's the right thing to say. <laughs> Support our L.A. teams. <laughs> yes. So should we say, may all your serves be touchdowns? <laughs> 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 on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, thanks for listening so much, everyone. And we hope that you'll keep tuning and keep listening. Send us your feedback. And we appreciate your support of Tennis Pal Chronicles. And may all your serves be, be aces. aces. And touchdowns. <laughs> and touchdowns. <laughs>